wonderful time of the year? Not always. The holidays can be hard, but there's help. Get coping tips at 988baltimore.org. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to oh, an man. end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the US Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into a spooky Christmas Garden of Doom. And to help us with spooky Christmas, we're going to welcome back our friend Jennifer Sutherland, who's been in the garden at least twice before. She did the show on poetry, Noir, Oh My, which uh, was a show about uh, poetry and Iron Maiden doing archipelagos or archipelagos or something, um, a word I should remember but don't, and uh, at least one other time as well. And I booked her for the Christmas show because she's a lawyer, she's an author, she's an award-winning poet, and she's a great researcher. Uh, and she said, yes, there's all those things too. Uh, and also because I uh, thought about it too late to do Halloween. Uh, but thankfully, I had an excellent substitute in my friend Stephanie Theban, who did a great Halloween show as well. But maybe next year we'll, we'll uh, convince Jennifer to do it again early enough to, and we'll try to approach it from a different direction. Anyway, today is about Christmas and pre-Christmas and spooky things associated with Christmas 
whether you're talking about post-Santa, pre-Santa, um, or not. Um, so first of all, let us say hello to Jennifer Sutherland. Hello, Jennifer. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. Um, maybe we should let you tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I am a poet. Um, I am a lawyer, as I think you know, but uh, I think I'm a more um, interesting poet than I am a lawyer. <laughs> um, and interested a lot in sort of folklore, folkloric traditions. Um, my background is Scottish and Irish, and my Scottish background is Highlander Scottish, which is basically like sort of southern Scandinavia. So um, there's some Scandinavian tradition in there as well, and, and uh, all of that stuff sort of works its way into the stuff that I write about. Yeah, it's it's all Northern European. There, it's the, the, the Germans, the Scandinavians, they sort of intermix some of the, the Russians too and just worked their way west and uh, took a lot of the stuff with them. And as everything is, they everything got its own dialect and its own little twist on it. And you changed some of the godheads and, and added some characters to fit, you know, uh, you know, things went from deer to maybe fish or, you know, or something like that. Um, but yeah, that that's... That's, that's what we've been learning here in the Garden of Doom. Um, there's a lot of overlay, a lot of overlap, but the, the it's all interesting, but a lot of the interesting stuff is in the differences as well and how the differences come about. So Christmas, this has its origins, I believe, in what a lot of things have their origins in, and that is the stars, the seasons, the solstice. This was sort of always a solstice celebration um, the days start to get a little bit longer. So people know that after the solstice, that's the shortest day. They figured that out. Uh, you know, even in places where it got cold, um, you know, you had the, you, you had the feasts, you had the, you, the, the sacrifices and the slaughtering of the big beasts and the storage of the meats, uh, to keep you through the winter in the warmer climes. It was probably closer to a harvest or what, whatever the case might be, but, uh, you always had the sort of solstice tradition, the things that go with it. But with the bloodletting and the sacrifices come the rituals and the antlers and all the fun things. And and then, of course, the old gods always need to let themselves be known. And the old gods, agents upon Earth, need to let themselves be known, including those from the darker side. And here is where we turn our story over to Jennifer, who will give us some of the prehistory of Christmas into Christmas, and then we're going to talk about some of our lovely friends and enemies associated with the Christmas time tales. Um, well, and and all of that is true. I do want to say that um, most cultures have some sort of midwinter um, story, tradition, um, mythology that is often associated with somebody bringing back the light after the days have grown shorter. And that's true in the global South as it is in the global North. And uh, there are lots of, of stories along those lines that, that don't necessarily involve a lot of the, the, the sort of Western um, images and, and, um, and tradition that we're going to talk about today. But I don't want it to seem like there aren't those stories. There are, and it's a very rich tradition. Um, but as we know, it is based on um, the celebrations of 
you know, a number of different cultures, um, largely European, but very, very old cultures. And so much of the stuff that we celebrate or make part of our Christmas celebrations now can be traced to those older celebrations, holly, ivy, um, you know, I mean, just light, just the, the idea of bringing light into your homes, lighting candles, all of that stuff can be associated with these, these kinds of traditions. Yeah, well, I believe the first name that we have associated is Yule. And, you know, now you think of Yule, you think of a Yule log, but Yule means something unto itself. And I'm not sure, is Yule like bringing of light? Is that basically what the definition is? Yeah. Yule would have been the celebration that would have happened on the winter solstice. It would it, it marked the the shortest day of the year, the return of the light that would have um, that would have you know led to the time for people to begin to start looking towards uh, another planting season, another growing season. So it was a really hopeful time, Aww. but it was also a time when the veil between the worlds, so to speak, was thin. Just uh, just like Halloween. But for a different reason, I guess. Or maybe it's the same. Who knows? I well, I don't know. Maybe you know. Um, I think I think they were looking in different directions, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, you know, Halloween or Samhain, you you might be looking towards people that you had lost, um, people who had passed over to the other side. That was an opportunity, maybe, to communicate, reconnect, to have them be closer to the world. Um, Yule would uh, tended to be more about the coming year, the return of the light after, you know, a, a somewhat dark time. There's, the days were getting shorter with less possible to grow things. Okay. People would be worried about how much food they have. Right. So Halloween, they're, they're looking more towards someone. They're looking more towards the dead, to their ancestors. And for Yule, they're looking more towards the light and, and, their descendants, their now, their their life, the children, the uh, looking forward to coming of the spring or, you okay. know, whatever. So, okay. Um, but both... It's also just like really dark and you want to do. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, everybody wants to party. It's, it's, it's like the Beastie Boys said, you got to fight for your right to party, even, <laughs> you know, even in 8,000, uh, you know, uh, BCE. Um, so, all right. I, I don't... I'm going to try to interrupt less and let you start the tale wherever you want to start the tale and take us in what order you like, even if it's not exactly chronological. Um, well, you can start, I mean, so much of this stuff is based around place because communities, these older communities were very place-based. Um, there wasn't necessarily as much sharing of tradition as, as there is now. So a lot of it is based around place. You can um, look at traditions that go back to the ancient Romans. Um, you can look at traditions that start with, or that go back to Scandinavia, Norway, Iceland, Germany. Um, the the Celts in Britain had their had celebrations around Yule. So a lot of this is very place based. Um, but maybe we could start with the Roman tradition, um, which was built around the celebration of Saturnalia. Cool. That sounds good. I think the the Romans, everyone gets that reference. Everyone knows, generally speaking, the time period we're talking about, which is, uh, in case they don't, it's usually around 100 
BCE to, you know, 400, 450 uh, CE, common era, AD, for those of you who still use AD. Um, so there, there you have it. Um, so the Romans took a lot of their celebrations and their stories, their, I mean, we call it a mythology now. For them, it would just been that they're, their celebration, their culture, their religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of that for them came from the Greeks. And Saturnalia um, is a celebration that we think might have had to do with, with um, Dionysus. Um, so it might have been just sort of a time to party and drink a lot of wine and celebrate with people. Um, but it did become associated with the Roman god Saturn. And it did become associated with midwinter, with the celebrations around midwinter. Um, and it became associated with a Roman celebration called Brumalia. And that's important because Brumalia probably became um, the basis for our celebrating Christmas on December 25th. Right. And tell us about Brumalia. As I understand, this was uh, part of associated with Mithras, which was actually a Persian uh, god that a lot of the Roman soldiers who were uh, stationed there sort of got exposed to and uh, and brought it back along with like regular migrations of peoples as well. Um, and Mithras, we've, we've had, Mithras has been covered in the Persian version episode and in a couple of other episodes as is Mithraism. Um, so you don't have to get too bogged down into that at all, but I think the origin story of Mithras is going to maybe shock some people because Mithras was, I don't know, uh, probably around 3000 or 3500, uh, BCE, which, you know, is obviously about a thousand or 1500 years before, uh, you know, someone named Jesus Christ was, you know, uh, supposedly born. Sure. It's a very old story. It's a very old tradition. Um, it shares a lot of of, um, of similar aspects to the story that um, is the basis for Christianity. Um, Mithras was supposedly born to a virgin on Brumalia, which was the basis for the celebration. Um, his birth was witnessed by shepherds and magi, which you know probably sounds familiar. He performed miracles when he was alive, and then he was returned to heaven on the spring equinox. Um, so there, and he, oh, and he had twelve followers who had a last supper with him. So um, you know there are similarities there, which the, the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church, um, which kind of stepped into the void that was left in Europe when Rome fractured and became far less powerful and moved into the East. Um, the Roman Catholic Church stepped in as kind of an organizing influence, almost, you know, a, kind of a government, a quasi-government for Europe. And they were looking for ways to, to help people associate their own local traditions, their own local cultures with Christianity. And Brumalia, the celebrations that were associated with that, um, were an ideal place maybe to associate Christmas because, um, you know, the story is very similar. It was so similar that Augustine, you know, the great doctor of the Catholic church said that, that people who worship Mithras were worshiping the same God that he worshiped. So this was a good way to get people involved in Christianity and Catholicism and let them keep doing the things that they enjoy doing, which was celebrating midwinter. 
Right. So it, it was around uh, the 300, I think it was, what was it, 310 when Constantine declared uh, Christianity the official religion of Rome uh, and the empire. And then they they adopted the same day, December 25th, to be um, the birth of Christ. And so it was ordered, so it shall be. Exactly. Okay. Very good. So now, so now we got the interesting history uh, sort of out of the way. And now let's get into the mythology. And, well, I, yeah, I don't want to hijack your guest stewardship on my show. Um, so... You know, if, if there was more to that that you wanted to go through, please, by all means. Well, I mean, people bringing, people brought to Christ's Mass, which was what the Catholic Church designated this new celebration on the 25th, um, a lot of the traditions that they had been celebrating all along, which we're going to talk about some. But one of those was the idea of celebrating this holiday for 12 days. Um, which would have been the, the Saturnalia celebration, um, would have gone on for about 12 days. And that continued. And it's what gives us our 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. And, and there's, there's like nothing magical about 12 days, but the number 12 is, is so magical and so special that, 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 you know, and it has to do with the months and the zodiac. I mean, that, it's the reason why our, we still tell time in increments of 12s twice a day as opposed to going one through 24. I mean, so, um, uh, you know, there's, there's really no logic to it, uh, except for that, except that 12 is special. And then of course, you, you know, a lot of people associate that with the apostles, but you know, that might've also been associated with, you know, the followers of Mithras, but basically probably at the end of the day has to do more with the Zodiac and the 12 months than anything else. Probably. All right. Well, there, again, I just said I'm going to try and interrupt less, and I impeach myself immediately. And you know that that's that that's that's how I do. Uh, back to you, Jennifer. <laughs> um, well, I mean, from there we can we can talk about some of those traditions, I think, and some of the the midwinter stories that have been, um, you know, kind of pumped into Christ Mass on December twenty fifth. And um, a lot of those are Norse or Celtic or Scandinavian in origin. Um, some of those are things that are associated with um, other cultures, celebrations. I'm sorry, I'm losing my place. Other cultures, celebrations of the same kinds of things. There's a culture that's Russian. Um, there's a whole, I mean, Iceland has a whole really interesting way of celebrating that I think we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. And then there's Krampus, um, who's, a, you know, got his, he, he got um, the Hollywood treatment, I think, a couple of years ago he in did. a movie. Um, but, you know, that celebration or that tradition is, is really, really old. It's dramatic. It's French. And it's kind of creepy and scary. I mean, if you think about Elf on the Shelf, like watching with your kids and getting your kids to behave in the days leading up to Christmas that way. But Krampus is like, means business. Yeah. Um, so. Graf Krampus is like Satan Claus, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he is. I mean, he is. He walks around with, he, he, he walks around with a bag. He has horns. Um, he's got this long tongue that hangs out. I mean, he's a scary looking dude. And hooves, he, chains, yeah. walking around with chains. Like the ghosts yeah. of Christmas past, uh, you yeah, know, uh, yeah. 
but he he's our main event. So, or as my friends in in the wrestling world like to say, he's in the main event. So, <laughs> cr- cr- credit to Mark Henry there. So, th- thank you, uh, uh, sexy chocolate, um, for that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, you can start wherever you like, and I I don't know if you want to start with Icelandic or if you want to start you know, Russian and sort of move ever westward, whatever, what, however you want to do it. Um, well, let's start with um, some of the, the Scandinavian associations, which uh, give us a lot of like sort of what we still do today. So um, mistletoe, mistletoe that people kiss under during the, the Christmas season, or they hang up around their houses, they tie it up with ribbon. Mistletoe is actually a murderer. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, mistletoe did terrible thing. And during the, um, or it, it, one of the, the Scandinavian stories is that Balder, who is, uh, I don't know what you would compare him to now, um, but he's, you know, he's beautiful, he's a good-looking guy, he's very strong, he's talented in every way, he's probably just like you. But um, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, exactly like me. Balder is sort of uh, he's sort of the god of light. He's sort of he's sort of like yeah. L- Lancelot without the sin. He's sort of like Achilles without the attitude. He he's he's sort of the perfection, and like most perfection in uh, you know ancient times. time of the year? Not always. The holidays can be hard, but there's help. Get coping tips at 988baltimore.org. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. He died even at the, at the hands of a uh, of of another god or semi god by accident maybe. Yeah, I don't know that it was by accident. Yeah, um, I mean it depends on the story you read, but Loki is involved, and I think whenever Loki is involved, there's probably a certain amount of bad intention. Um, but Balder was, or as we say in our business, reckless disregard. Exactly. Or depraved heart. Right. Um, and he had a depraved heart, Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he supposedly was impervious to harm. No, nothing could harm him. And that was because his mom had gone around and talked to everything that lived on the earth and made them promise not to hurt her wonderful son, as mothers will do. Yes. And everything promised. But she forgot mistletoe. Somehow... 
you know, I mean, I don't know if you know what mistletoe looks like when it grows in the wild, but it's this really very strange plant. Listen, I'm very trees. ugly, so I don't even know what it looks like <laughs> in real life because no one ever put it over my head, and they hid it from me so that I can trick other people into me kissing them. So I don't even know what it looks like in, in, in its tame, domesticated form. Well, when you buy it in Target or whatever, it's a very nice little round ball of greenery. It looks very pretty, but in the wild, it's this very strange, it's a parasitic plant. Ah. Um I yeah. like it. I like it so, already. In any event, Baldur's mother, it was beneath her to talk to Mistletoe, or she forgot about Mistletoe, and Loki, who was very sneaky, but also very smart, um, and who was jealous of Baldur, and, and uh, sort of wanted to, to take him down a peg, went and spoke to Mistletoe, and fashioned he sawed it down or chiseled it down into a sharp point he put it on the end of a spear and he handed it to one of the gods who was um blind a blind a blind person and had him throw the spear at loki or i'm sorry at balder and it killed balder and balder wound up in hell wasn't it odin's spear that never misses uh that i don't know maybe it might have been Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure about that either. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would make sense. Um, but he wound up in hell. And he spent, I, I, he, I think he spent 12 days in hell, which might be another source for their 12 days of Christmas mm-hmm. celebration. Um, but the, the gods were eager to get him back. And they went and they spoke to hell and said, won't you let him come back? And this all sounds very much like the, the Greek myth of Demeter and Persephone, really. It sure does. Um, and with, with a little bit of uh, Hercules and, and uh, the, the centaurs uh, thrown in there as well. Yeah. With the poison yeah. arrow. A lot of, we like our heroes. We do. And our magical creatures. Right. Hell, so hell said you can come home if everybody on earth will cry for you. And everyone did, except for Loki. So Baldur wound up having to stay in hell. But Mistletoe felt supposedly so um, sad and guilty about what had happened that it shed the most tears, um, and it it cried itself its white berries that, you know, it now has. And so that is possibly why it's part of our Christmas celebration now, um, because it's associated with this event that, that took... The, the god of light and took him away, at least for a period of time. When you put the, the, the myths into context with time periods, it actually makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. like, you're like, duh. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why some people are, are authors and considered smart and others are, well, me. Well, especially if you think about, I mean, there would have been all sorts of little ice ages, larger ice ages um, that would have been happened. Some winters would have been significantly worse than others. um, Iceland is a volcanic country, so they would have been experiencing volcanic eruptions that would have been filling the atmosphere with ash and plunging them into more darkness than expected. I mean, you know, so much of this is associated with the natural phenomenon. But I also... yeah, I think it's interesting to think about how to explain these kinds of stories in that way. But I also think that we ought to hold some place for, um, you know, some relationship with the unknown, the unexplained, 
the magical. And I think it's okay to, to allow some of these stories to hold some of that. You know, it doesn't all have to be tied to whether or not it was just a really bad winter that year. And this is how they explained it. I think, I think people at one time and, and maybe we will, we will get to this point again, but people at one time had a closer relationship to the earth than we do. Oh, for sure. We've had tons of shows on that. And even if they're not directly on that, uh, they, I don't know. All right, so I'm going to do something to kill the mood, maybe, or make the mood depend. Well, this is Garden of Doom. I don't need to explain myself. Um, at, at some point, I don't know exactly when it was, and I'm going to try to figure out, and when I say exactly, I mean, you know, within a century or two, but somewhere probably around the, the middle 4th century, so 4,000 4, century. So, so somewhere probably around 3,500 to 4,000 uh, years ago, somebody decided to invent a god who create who put everything on earth for the disposal and use of humans um the animals the 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 grass the sky the water everything was for us and i call that the slow motion suicide gospel um before this time most religions including the ones in the west um, including the ones in Europe, including the oldest Indo-European uh, proto-religions and the animists, and, and you know, and, and and obviously most of the indigenous cultures in you know, Aust- you know, Australia or and, and the islands, uh, you know, Lemuria, if you believe in Lemuria, uh, Africa, were were much more balanced. It was more about the the earth is sacred, the you know, Father Sky and Mother Earth. Uh, you know, and, and they were tied together in balance. But at some point we, we decided that the God made us in his image or her image. And earth was our, our, you know, our play pit, our ball pit to do whatever we like in it, uh, which has sort of justified everything we've done. And that's been accelerated in the last, you know, I don't know, probably 50 years. It's probably worse than ever because of technology. So goes my semi theological, lecture uh thank you for coming to my ted talk back to christmas well no i, I don't think that that kills the mood at all or it's really like a, a, a digression necessarily i mean i think it it leads us to a discussion of the elf tradition nice um and particularly the the icelandic elf tradition because um it, it it's a whole sort of cottage industry to talk about how people in Iceland still believe in elves and you can be very cynical and think about the fact that Iceland also has a thriving tourist business at this point that has a lot to do with their um, elf tradition. But there are people in Iceland who genuinely believe in elves. Um, And in fact, the country has done lots of things now or is doing lots of things now um, that are elf driven. Um, they are very careful about placing their roads so that they don't interfere with rock formations that are believed to be where elf communities live. There are people who are seers who um, can see elves in the places where they live and who actually advise the government, sort of their their department of public works on where to put roads and, and buildings and stuff. Um, Alcoa at one point was putting a factory in Iceland and 
um, based on where it was they wanted to build, apparently they had to lay out a lot of cash to establish for the surrounding community that this place where they were going to build was not a place where elves were living. Um, and I, part of that is, is driven by fear that if you wreck an elf's house, um, the elf is, is, is going to make your life difficult. And, and as a result, there are lots of stories about that, about farmers accidentally destroying an elf's house and then their farm burns down or the farmer dies um, or some other misfortune befalls their family. But there's also just, there's a level of respect, I think. Um, on some level, the elf tradition, elf stories have come to stand for respect for the earth, for things that you can't necessarily see or understand, but that have value. Activists and, around the world take heed. Maybe this is a better strategy for you. Well, it's worked in Iceland. Um, I mean, there was a whole, uh, there, there was a news cycle, um, I don't know, maybe around 20 12 or 2013 where there there was i mean people were chaining themselves to a rock formation the government or the, the local community whoever it was who was building this road was trying to demolish it, a standing rock formation and uh, eventually they were able to successfully petition the government to change the building plan that's amazing i know actually la sicaria uh, has befriended somebody in our community, or they befriended her, either way, and this woman is from Finland. Um, and she and La Sakari are both self-identified as uh, being part witch, and uh, of course, and she, one of the first things this woman told me, like almost immediately after her name was, the fey folk are real. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely all through there. And I'm sure in Greenland, if you could build over those glaciers there, there would be the same type of situations, but, uh, yeah, um, definitely real, uh, real belief anyway. And, uh, you know, I guess in islands it's, you know, with a smaller population, it's, it's sort of easier to, uh, have things last forever. I, I you know, because of the, mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, but it's true. My, my folks were just in Iceland and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, of course they didn't take me, so I was mad. And so I kept sending them every day articles on elves and trolls and, and all the dangerous, scary things in Iceland. So they, they brought me back a little stuffed animal troll. So great, yeah. great, yeah. cool, cool story, bro. Right. <laughs> well, I think, um, the, the tradition in Iceland is based on sort of getting back to some of the, the Judeo Christian principles that we've been talking about. Um, there is a story or a, a, um, a tradition that the hidden folk or the Icelandic elves are descended from Eve's children. And they apparently had been playing around the garden and were like um, recalcitrant children refusing to take a bath. And God came to visit the garden. So this was, I guess, before Eve screwed up and took a bite from the apple. But God came to visit, and Eve was embarrassed because her children were not bathed. And so she hid them. And God asked her, you know, if he could meet the children. And she lied and said that she didn't have any. And God was very angry. And he said, well, if you're going to hide them, then I'll keep them hidden. And so from that point on, you weren't able to see them, but they were there nonetheless. 
So this is so this is not the uh, the 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 Cain and Abel and then Seth. These are these are pre children. Yeah. We don't even know their names. No. Wow. So Eve was also the mother of monsters, not just Adam's alleged first wife and Lilith, who who's also the mother of monsters. I, I don't know. This, this all powerful God, he sort of did unleash a lot of stuff early on in this Garden of Eden. You would think he would just, you know, produce a bathtub with the children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, Johnson's and Johnson's No More Tears wasn't around yet. I, I guess I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, I don't know. I, I guess if Eve had some more company and other mothers, she would know that kids that don't want to take baths is, you know, sort of common and most people sort of understand it. But all right. She she had no peer group. She had no support system. The, like she had nothing to judge against. Well, um, she made a lot of bad choices. But it, it sort of explains now why elves are a little mischievous. And they hidden. They play tricks on us. Yeah, even the, the Judeo-Christian, you know, who's also the Islamic God, didn't want us to see them. That, that's, that's perfectly understandable. I mean, we can't, we can't see them, but they are there. If you believe in God, you believe in elves. Mm -hmm. So say we all. Um, so leprechauns, which is a different holiday, obviously, uh -huh. than Christmas. Yeah, but sure. they are possibly some form of elvic tradition that's... that's uh, developed in Ireland or in the Celtic countries. And fairies, or the fae, the fae folk, uh, are probably, they share that tradition as well. So all of these countries have their own form of hidden trickster people mm -hmm. that they interact with. And those people that are generally very associated with nature, with the earth, with the seasons, uh, and with magic. All right, quick show notes here. Uh, for those of you who are new listeners, for those of you who are old listeners or are fans of this kind of genre, you probably already know this. But new listeners who maybe aren't fans of this genre, when you think about fairies, you probably are thinking about Tinkerbell or, or something like that in your head. But that's not what the fairies were. Um, they were larger and, and they came in different shapes and sizes and some were very, some were more sprite-like, which might be closer to a Tinkerbell, but almost just as close to like a human locust kind of thing. Uh, but they were also person-sized or larger uh, fairies. And the fae folk are not all fairies. They're all sorts of magical creatures in certain traditions, which would include your trolls, your dwarves, your gnomes, your your, your fairies of all shapes and sizes, your, your, your wood nymphs, your water nymphs. So, uh, and I am working on getting... Someone, I have a commitment from someone who does the Celtic uh, Galway podcast to come on the show and talk about uh, the origin story of, I believe, Ireland in this case, and and some of the fae folk. But there's been some earlier shows where it's been touched upon. And if I don't know the person I just mentioned uh, from Finland well enough yet, but you know, if we get to talking, which I'm sure we will, and if it turns out that she's a you know a decent speaker. I may have her on to, to, to talk about her stuff because I think that the first person accounts is always cool. So with that little show note uh, completed, let, let's get back to our main show. Those would be great shows, I think. I hope so. Um, so the, well, you were talking about the, the fairies, and I, I don't want to get like too far afield with that, but 
They, they really were. I mean, they were oftentimes they were just adult looking. I mean, they were full grown looking people. They would come riding in on a white horse. Um, they were often like really good looking, you know, I mean, fairies are kind of sexy. They'll, sure. They will seduce you because they want to take you off to the other world or they want to um, take away your baby, which is a whole other tradition, the changeling tradition. Um, fairies could be like bad actors, you know, I mean, so there, I mean, in all of these stories, there's a little edge of darkness or more than a little edge. But then I think that's particularly true with the fairies. Yeah, just like angels and demons. There's there were the good angels and there were the bad angels, and sort mm-hmm. of some that were conflicted. Santa is sort of a, like a sanitized elf at this point. <laughs> you know, I mean, the elves would have been not necessarily jolly, not necessarily gift givers. Um, so Santa is is taking some of that magical elements of elfhood. And moving in some of the other aspects of Christmas, gift giving, and and um, and just sort of general benign goodness. Um, but you know, I mean, there are other histories or other stories of elves that definitely retain some of that, the edge, the the, the darkness that would have been associated with these older stories. And um, some of those, or one of those, is. The, um, well, you want to talk about Krampus, but do you want to wait to talk about Krampus? I, I, I am in your hands. So whatever order you want to go in, I, I think is fine. Um, I did, but I'm going to take this opportunity where you're, um, sort of seating the floor temporarily to note that Santa, as we picture him now, sort of in a red and white outfit, um, that really only goes back to like the 1800s and it's sound and it seems like it's, it's, it's good old American commercialization. There's a, there's a myth, uh, urban legend, if you will, that it was Coca-Cola who, uh, created it. It wasn't, it was actually a political cartoonist, uh, a few decades earlier in America, but Coca-Cola did use it as an advertising campaign later and ran with it. So while Coca-Cola may have helped make it, you know, global, uh, and, uh, you know, the colors basically associated with Christmas. Uh, it was a, a satirist, a political cartoonist who did it also in the U.S., but Santa's been associated around the world with lots of different colors, green, yellow, you know, you have the, you know, everyone who's seen Atlanta knows about, you know, uh, uh, Black Pete, you know, who, you know, unfortunately he looks like he has blackface, you know, and as they'll tell you, you know, he got soot on his face for going down the, the chimney. So he got the soot on his face, but not on the rest of him. So you can read into that what you will, but it is part of the, of histories. Uh, but yeah, Santa actually, as you were saying, start was more like sort of the leader of the elves sort of like the, you know, I guess the, the chieftain of this certain group of elves. Well, I mean, these, these stories contain, um, not always the best of a culture. They sometimes contain the, the culture's prejudices sure. as well, which I think is you could you could um, you could talk about Black Pete in that way. Um, but I wanted to talk about before we get to Krampus. I want to talk about goats. Yes, of course, <laughs> sure. I mean, you're not. I mean, it's a good segue because Kramp, Krampus has goat legs. So, and, and Krampus probably has something to do with, with the Yule goat, um, which is why goats get drawn into this story at all. But 
Yule elves in Scandinavia. Um, and we see them. I mean, I don't know if you have been out and about shopping or um, been at a craft store lately, but these Yule elves. time of the year? Not always. The holidays can be hard, but there's help. Get coping tips at 988baltimore.org. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lately, are very big business. There's there are elves everywhere. The Scandinavian type of elf that you call a nissa, um, with the long beard. They sort of look like a garden gnome, the tall pointy hat. For whatever reason, those are very popular right now. That's the thing to have around your house. But that's very old. Right, it's sort of like very, being contrarian. It's like it's like cool to be contrarian. So you have sort of your mischievous elves and sort of your friendly little Keebler elf types. Yeah, these are definitely the friendly little Keebler elf types. And they would have been something like a house elf, um, like Dobby in the, the Harry Potter story, maybe. <laughs> but um, And they would, have, they would have protected the house. They would have been um, good luck. If you lost something, you might sort of petition your, your Nyssa to help you find it um, or to help you fix something that was broken. And they might have been a kind of ancestor spirit tradition that um, that would have been much even older than that. The idea that your ancestors continue to remain with you, we're close, and we're even closer to you at this time of year again because the the veil between the worlds being a little bit thinner and the the days being shorter. But like elves in these traditions, they would cause tradition. They would cause mischief if you didn't take good care of them. You should be leaving food out for them, a little bit of water or milk out for them. Um, and if you didn't show them respect, if you if, if something was important to them and you threw that away or broke it or destroyed it, you might expect to experience the repercussions of that. Indeed. And those could be devastating. So around Yule, which would have been the, the celebration at midwinter, you would have left out a bowl of porridge with butter and milk and honey as like a special treat for your house elf. Sort of like we live, we, we leave out cookies and milk now for Santa and his reindeer, you would have left out oatmeal. Um, and your elf would have enjoyed that in the night of Yule. And the Yule elves, this is where I get to the goat. Um, the Yule elves would have been or would have walked around leading the, the Yule goat around um, and, and given out gifts. So around this time, we were starting to see the tradition of gift giving associated with Yule developing. And um, the Yule goat would just be sort of laden with 
presents with, you know, a big bag of gifts and would have been led around the village and, and gifts distributed to people. And then not only would this goat have been the, the animal that would have carried the gifts around, but because you don't want to waste things, I guess, um, you would also have during some of these very old midwinter festivals um, would probably have involved the slaughter of a kid goat um, to uh, Saturn or to Thor, um, whose chariot was drawn by goats. So goats were very important in a lot of these traditions. And Capricorn, which is the, um, the, zo the, the zodiac sign associated with December, obviously, and Cornucopia, which is the horn of plenty that we associate with uh, Yule or these midwinter festivals, and which would have contained sweets and fruits and goodies and all the sorts of things that you needed to celebrate feast, they share the same root, which is probably the word for horn. Right. And the other thing is, the reason that we know that this goes back into Central Asia, North and Iran, sort of the area where Ukraine and, and Russia are fighting right now and, and a little bit north, uh, is because the Scythians are the ones who invented the chariots. And so we know that the origins at least go back that far into sort of the western part of the Russian steppe, if, if not earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And then there is there is a Slavic Yule festival called Koliada, cool. which honors a god named Devek, um, who was himself a goat. An albino so goat. A goat god. And then in that in those areas, in the Eastern European areas where they have incorporated our Christian story and Saint Nicholas or Santa Claus has been brought into these stories. Um, Santa Claus or Saint Nicholas is often leading the goat around. And now we have kind of um, laid on top of, of that tradition a Christian gloss which is associating the goat with the devil instead of with yule itself who was nicholas that became saint nicholas is i mean usually most of the saints there are there's a real person or at least you know what we're to believe it's a real person whether they did the real things or not is, is another story but who, who who was nicholas and and where's his origins if you know saint nicholas was one of the earlier saints in the catholic church this was this would have been the the early Catholic Church before the schism, um, so that before you had the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, um, and I, I don't remember specifically what Nicholas did. I think that he was one of the early popes, and I think that he was a martyr, um, and he was associated with gift giving because I think that he had worked some miracles that involved. Um, like something like presents being exchanged. Yeah, I think he but did. He's, he's an early religious figure. I, I think what he did, and and I might be wrong also, and I'm sorry for yeah, I'm sort of, you know, uh, springing this on you and on myself because I don't know enough. But I think he did something in what we now call Turkey, which was not called Turkey. I mean, a lot of the, the names of countries, the whole concept of the city state, uh, is is not the city state, the 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 country state, the nation state is is sort of a modern construct as well. Um, but I, I think he might have bridged something, but probably between the you know the the more European you know influenced uh, or, or you know ethnic Greeks and Anatolians and Romans whatever mm -hmm. you know versus maybe the more Canaanite 
Persian, Turkic Hunnics, uh, you know, in, in that, in that uh, crossroads of the world. And I think he did have something to do with, you know, bridging a, a, a gap there. But uh, in the end, it didn't work out well. And like you said, he, he got martyred. Which yeah, means, I mean, which so means someone killed him. <laughs> it, it's it can be hard to, to untangle some of this because um, the church was very interested in kind of bringing people into the fold, and the way to bring them into the fold was to give them something familiar to hold on to, and so they would take these older stories, these older figures, um, and they would kind of give them a gloss so that now you could be a Christian, but you could still have the things that you wanted to celebrate that have been part of your culture, your family celebrations for years. Um, and so sometimes it, it, it gets, it gets very tightly tangled. Indeed. Okay. All right. Well, again, back to our regularly scheduled program. Uh, so we were talking about goats and, and goats, I think probably leads us to Krampus who is such a fun figure and is uh, another figure that's kind of super popular right now. The, the movie from a couple of years ago, but also um, in Europe, his popularity has taken off. And I think that's partly because people want something that's not quite so saccharine and, um, you know, unapologetically or, or unadulterated good as Santa Claus can be good to have a, a, a moderating force on the other side there. Krampus sure. sort of works like that. Balance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a way to keep your kids in line. If your kids are not, if your kids are not behaving. <laughs> um, but he would, he, he, he's very big in Germany. He was um, big in, in French folklore and he was, he was, he was a figure who would, you could threaten your children with, that if they weren't behaving, that Krampus would come to visit them instead of St. Nicholas, instead of Santa Claus. And instead of getting presents, um, you know, we get coal in our stockings if we don't, if our children don't behave. But uh, in these European areas, bad children would get Bertrands. And Bertrands, you can use to hit somebody with. So, I mean, this is this is kind of associated with with corporal punishment. Um, it's very old, like so many of these stories are. When uh, this, I, I this I find sort of fascinating. When um, Austria in the 1930s turned fascist in the the days leading up to World War II, um, Krampus whose celebration there was a big part of the culture, was actually prohibited by the government. You were no longer allowed to, to celebrate or to figure Krampus in any of your celebrations. Um, and there was, a, there was a backlash against that. And he actually has, you know, in the years since then, has, I think, only become more popular because he was prohibited at this point. Yeah, which is a little bit strange. You think the fascists would em embrace a, a Krampus like you know behave and and adhere to the spirit, or else? I mean, you know, Sa Santa Claus is like if you're naughty, you don't get a present. Krampus is like if you abandon the Christmas spirit, like you're 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 gonna be go to some some version of hell. Well, I mean, he was probably competition. <laughs> 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 
he, he was he was the birch rod of Santa. He was he was Santa's yeah. d- d- dark self, the yin to his yang or yang to his yin. I'm I'm not sure which one's which. But he, you see him. He's on greeting cards. Um, you know, I mean, a, a search of the web will will pull up all sorts of depictions of him, particularly on greeting cards, and it's it's considered kind of kitschy and fun to exchange cards like this with your friends and neighbors. They'll show him, you know, putting children into his bag for them for him to carry off, um, or cooking children on a spit. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of. It's just like kind of like very dark. Yes, but let's Very dark imagery. But let's make no but, mistake with Krampus. Krampus okay. was goat-like, hairy, long yeah. horns, like like a goat but oversized, not like a ram, but like a, a oversized goat, almost like an eye, you know, ibex horns. Uh, had fangs, long fangs, you know, like a vampire or werewolf. His tongue was always hanging out. Uh, he did wear the, the 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 red and white in some stories, like the Santa outfit, but so that he, almost like he, it was like a camouflage. Cha- often, you know, having chains all around him, which I, I guess could be used sort of like the Cenobites in Hellraiser. Um, and he had a bag, which in some traditions was where he would take the kids and carry them off to wherever he, whatever hellscape of anti-Christmas he was going to take them to. Um you know, and he had goat legs and hooves, but he was like, you know, like, uh, you know, not, not a giant, but like a big guy, like a, like a, a stature, like, you know, you know, six foot something in, in, in height, but also, you know, big and wide like Santa, but not like fat and jolly, but like, you know, scary and, you know, ogre-y. Mm-hmm. Well, he looks, uh, to me, he looks a lot like the, the devil card in the Rider weight tarot. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I think there's a reason for that. But, yeah, so it yeah, looks like Baal, you know, from the the old Canaanite yeah. goat god, who probably was someone else before that. But, uh, yeah, he's a scary dude. He, yeah, he looks like the devil. I mean, you know, basically, he, he, he looks like some images of the devil, not not the suave, handsome devil that, that uh, we see on Lucifer. I have this theory that the, um, the abominable snowman in the Rankin-Bass Rudolph cartoon. He's actually like some version of Krampus, honestly. Aw, he's so sweet, though. He's just misunderstood. Come on. Well, he's sweet after his teeth are pulled. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Just like the lion when you pull the thorn out of his paw. I get it. I understand. Yeah. Okay. So, So, uh, that's Krampus. Um, Are you suggesting Krampus just has a toothache and just needs a friendly dentist? Uh, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Well, or, you know, some children to eat. But, um, <laughs> maybe he's just hungry. I, 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 I can, agree. Yeah. Well, children could be very noisy, so eating them is could be a solution. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, it's it's a way to keep your children in line in the busy days before Christmas when you're trying to get your cooking done. It keeps them out of the kitchen. It certainly would, especially if they're going to be the main course. So. Um, that's sort of the, the Germanic tradition, um, and that's Krampus. Uh, I wanted to talk about um, a Russian figure who is has he doesn't look like Krampus, but he he shares maybe some some attributes, um, and that is Died Morosh. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I had to look that up before. Mm. Um, 
but that means his name actually means Grandfather Frost. Okay, sounds so familiar. So there's probably some basis for our tradition of, of um, Jack Frost. And he, if you've seen pictures or depictions of the Slavic Santa Claus, where it's a long coat, often sort of fur trimmed, it goes all the way to the ground, it may be holding uh, a, a, a long staff. Um, that's probably, that's Dietrich. And he goes around, he, um, he arrives in a horse-drawn sleigh, which is a troika. He delivers gifts all during December. Um, he's got sleigh bells on his, the reins of his horses. So that's where we get our, our jingle bells sort of story and tradition. Um, and then in some cultures or in some stories, he's assisted by a snow maiden whose name I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. And the two of them kind of go around. It's wintertime and they bring joy to children by distributing presents. And he would have been, before the arrival of Christianity, a demon. But I put scare quotes or stair quotes around the word demon because those kinds of spirits or those kinds of demons wouldn't have been considered evil. You know, that's an association that we have with that because of Christianity. Christianity deeming demons as part of um, Satan's gang or cabal and these would have been just spiritual beings and oftentimes very closely tied to nature, like elves, um, like gnomes, like trolls, um, but not necessarily evil, just attached to nature and sort of spiritual and supernatural. And when Christian, when, when religious celebrations and Christmas were banned in Russia, when Russia was communist, People weren't allowed to, at least out in the open, um, celebrate a lot of these Christian traditions, but Gedmarosh held on. It was a very old um, celebration. People were very attached to that. And the communist figures kind of let them have it. It seemed like it was a good thing. It kept the people um, happy during the long winter months. And so he was able to hold on even when Santa and Christianity uh, temporarily were not as much in Russia. And actually, Vladimir Putin visited um, Dietborosh's residence on Christmas Eve, like years ago in 2008. Uh, where would this residence be? Uh, in a Russian town whose name I cannot pronounce. <laughs> okay, so... But he has, he has a very specific... There's a home, there's a, a town that he is supposed to be from, so that if you could travel, if you wanted to travel out there, you could. Much like we associate Santa with the North Pole. Okay, all right, but it's not like hidden. Like I think Santa has like a sort of like a clandestine, like a like some sort of cloaking device. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. All right. So, uh, all right. Well, you know, I guess Santa. You know, NORAD does track Santa. Uh, as you pointed out, and as we all sort of remember, but I, I think we all sort of was a, thought it was a rib, but maybe not. Well, and there is a Russian version of Santa tracking. They track Yedmorosh. They do it on New Year's Eve, not on Christmas Eve. Oh. Um, but they have a satellite system who who tracks him, I guess, on his sleigh going around delivering presents. 
Okay, well, that's cool. I mean, you know, uh, does that mean that Russians get the presents, you know, twice within a week? Uh, that I don't know. I don't yeah. know if they if they are exchanging presents on Christmas or all throughout December um, or on Christmas Eve. It may be. I mean, there in some countries I know kids get their gifts um, earlier than Christmas Eve. Some people exchange gifts, I think, on Epiphany. So, I mean, I think a lot of that is very place based. The 12 days of Christmas, are those the days leading up to Christmas or after Christmas? They're the days after Christmas. Okay. So it fits into the 12 days, so it doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other. And that's all I'm going to say about our Russian friends. (laughs) (laughs) Because I might have like one or two listeners in Russia. And uh, I want to talk, too, because we talked about the 12 disciples. Um, There's a tradition of... 13, and those are the, the 13 Yule lads in Iceland um, who are maybe like a, a little bit like the elves in Santa's workshop or like the, the 12 dwarves in the Snow White story. Um, they don't celebrate, or they, they traditionally have not celebrated a St. Nick or a Santa Claus kind of celebration around Christmas time in Iceland. They celebrate something that's maybe a little bit closer to the older versions of Yule, and they have thirteen Yule lads who help them, who help them celebrate. Well, the twelve is tied to thirteen because there's always twelve surrounding a one, whether it's the sun, whether it's the Jesus, whether it's, you know, in some cases the Arthur. Um, you know, in the Mesoamerican traditions, there's the staircases are usually. 13, there's usually four uh, stacks of 13 to get to 52. I mean, note 52 weeks in a year, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, there we can tie some things there, but there's nothing inconsistent with 13 Yule lads and everything else we've talked about. It's just uh, you're used to hearing the 12, but the 12 is usually associated with a leader or a one. And 12 or 13, I think, is is lunar as well. It is. some of this, some of the shifting, I think, has to do with moving from a solar or moving from a lunar calendar to a solar calendar. Yeah, all those zodiacs have twelve, but there's always something. There's always something that proceeds through the zodiac signs, whether it's lunar, whether it's solar, whether it's Jupiter. There's probably others. I mean, actually, I know that there's others. I just know nothing about them. time of the year? Not always. The holidays can be hard, but there's help. Get coping tips at 988baltimore.org. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Each one of them has a name. They have a special personality, um, and their names give you clues. I think to 
the sort of figure that they are, and they're kind of fun. They probably were started out as elves or trolls. They probably were a lot more like Krampus originally, um, kind of scary and intended to punish bad children more so than to reward good ones. But in Iceland, which is a, a pretty progressive country, around the 18th century, it became illegal to discipline children with scary stories. So it was actually against the law to tell scary stories to your kids to make them behave. And so over the, the ensuing years after that, the Yule Lads transformed from these bad guys who would come along and take your toys and smack you or take away your fun um, and turned into the Yule Lads who were really just kind of old men and they dressed in merry clothes and they told stories and they brought treats and presents. And each of them, like I said, has, has a name and a personality, which is to me why they remind me of the, the dwarves in Snow White, the seven dwarves. You need to read some of these names that you provided to me because they are amazing. So we have Sheep Coat Clog, Gully Gawk, Stubby, Spoon Butter, Pot Scraper, Bowl Locker, Door Slammer, Skier Gobbler, Skier is um, like yogurt, <laughs> Sausage Swiper, mm. Window Pepper, Doorway Sniffer, Yuck. Meat Hook. Ooh. who um, I don't think is actually like a serial killer as much as that sounds like. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds very Candyman. Like, yeah. And uh, oh my gosh, Candyman. I haven't thought of that movie in years. And, and Candle Beggar. And those names are based on a poem that was written in 1932 and that kind of gave them their personalities and their names a lot like we have the Clement Moore poem that gave us so much of what we now associate with Santa Claus and Christmas. Indeed. Could, could you remind us a little bit about the Clement Moore poem? Well, it's Twas the Night Before Christmas. Oh, um, <laughs> even I know that yeah. one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not exactly a deep cut there. Okay. Yeah, and that's, you know, I mean, he associates Santa Claus with an elf. He's little in the poem because he can fit down the chimney. Um, and you know, I mean, that's the poem that gives us the reindeer up on the roof and Santa putting his finger to his nose so that he can rise up the chimney. And, you know, all of those kinds of things come from Clement Moore. Clement Moore. And, and do we know anything about Clement Moore? And is it important in this, in this show? Not terribly. I mean, he was a newspaper guy. The poem was was a deviation from him from the sorts of things that he would usually have been writing about. But a lot of Victorian men would dabble in poetry, often to terrible effect. So, but <laughs> this is a poem that worked out and that we still have. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, we definitely do. I mean, it's, it's read in every cartoon. Uh, it, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, everyone knows the night before Christmas. I mean, and it, it's, pervasive and i don't mean in, in a bad way it's it's cute it's it's nice but uh it, it is a little it is a little spooky depending on how you read it and the cadence of it uh you know but silence is very important in it you know it's a story about a home invasion i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a story about two people who are in bed and then the, the husband hears somebody up on the roof and he goes to investigate what's happening and 
I don't know if you've ever been awakened in the middle of the night by an unexpected noise, but that's that, that will have your heart pounding. And uh, he goes out and instead of finding a burglar um, or someone there to murder everyone in the family in their beds, he finds Santa Claus in his red coat and leaving presents under the tree. So, yeah. So it was a welcome home invasion. It's one of the good, it's one of those good home invasions. <laughs> it's like one of the, it's like the reality shows when people come in and they remodel your kitchen for you and you come in, whoa, this is great. Wait, who gave them the key? If you have to have a home invasion, that's the one to shoot for, I think. Right. If it is, it should be the property twins or, or someone like that. So, yeah, that. That's what that's what you want it to be. You want it to be uh, Jeff Lewis from Flipping Out. I need to stop on my knowledge of reality shows. It's it's uh, embarrassing, frankly. Um, all right, what else is scary about Christmas that we need to know or should know? Um, I don't know. I can't think of anything else scary other than you know the people who will be coming to your house and the things that they will bring that you will have to eat, but. Do we, do we know where Krampus takes the kids to? Like what, what kind, in the movie, you know, the kid didn't realize that basically he was reliving the, the same exact kind of Christmas, like his worst Christmas day of ever for, for eternity, which I thought was very clever sort of, and it was sort of stuck in a, a snow globe in Krampus's lair where there were, you know, all these snow globes of, of all sorts of people reliving their own hellish Christmas forever and ever. Uh, but is, you know, I thought that was very clever, but that can't possibly be what the, and any story, um, uh, told, do, do we have any idea what, what Krampus did with the kids he stole away in bags? I think he took them to hell. Um, and I mean, a lot of these, so many of these stories are designed to remind you of things, you know, of, of what kinds of behaviors are expected in society, of what a good person does, of what a good person doesn't do, how to celebrate well. Um, Iceland, I think, has a cat who will go around and eat you up if you don't wear the clip, the gifts that you receive for Christmas. So a lot of these are exist to at least partly to tell you how to be a good person and how to not annoy your friends and neighbors, particularly during the holiday season. Gee, what if, what if you didn't get clothes? I mean, <laughs> you know, what if you, what if you got a TV, you got to walk around wearing the TV. This is, this is rough. This is this is some hardcore stuff in Iceland. I don't know. I don't know. They seem well, I think there's 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 also um, a, a tradition of exchanging books on Christmas Eve and then putting your pajamas on and spending the evening in bed reading the books that you get, which is why I think I'm as obsessed with Iceland as I probably am. Well, everyone because should that do to that. Me is my ideal. Every everybody should read more. Everybody should read more. If you can't read more, everybody should listen to audible books, but actually listen. Like, you know, don't, 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 don't like fall asleep yeah, to them. Um, but if you can't do that, you should listen to Garden of Doom and Garden Views and all of my other podcasts. Even if you don't like wrestling, pro wrestling, you should do it anyway. Cause, uh, cause I'm awesome. Um, all right. So Krampus scary Christmas older than Christmas. Uh, but generally speaking, it has to, is about the winter solstice everywhere or the solstice and the shortness of the days and the coming of the light. Uh, usually involves some sort of sacrifice, uh, some sort of hooved undulate, usually a goat, uh, probably because the goats were the 
first animals to, to be domesticated and we were probably drinking goat milk and eating goat milk way before we were, uh, got to the bigger cows and stuff like that. So, uh, I don't know. Read, read, everyone read some history on, on that kind of thing. But, uh, I guess goats were easy because they sort of eat everything and anything. So they're sort of easy to care for. They're sort of autonomous. And as long as they're near food, they, I guess they don't really care about wandering off much. They're like cats. Once you feed them, they're sort of going to hang around. Um, as long as you sort of leave them alone. Um, so, uh, it's all about goats, people. Everything's about the goat. Goats can be creepy. I mean, if anyone saw The yeah. Witch, Black Phillip was definitely creepy. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, goats also associate with fertility. I'm not I'm not really exactly sure. They, I mean, like, they're not like rabbits or turtles. It's not like they're particularly promiscuous, are they? Uh, I don't know. I've never kept goats. Um, but possibly. Like, isn't, like, a, a goat, like, they have, like, one live birth and maybe, like, one a year, like, you know, like uh, like some other mammals? It's not even like they're, you're a cat or a dog where you could have, like, you know, three to six offspring in a, in a litter. I, I don't know. I, I guess I need to find more about goats. Maybe it's just the horns. Maybe it's just as simple as the horns. And the, well, the eyes. They've got those, those weird, like, diamond-shaped pupils, which I think is... Um, you can you can spin that a lot of different ways. Well, you can. I'm not sure I can. Uh, <laughs> I, I think maybe we've gone a little bit off the rails here, uh, and uh, and this is not a show about goats. I'm definitely not prepared for a show about goats. Um, but but yeah, a lot a lot of things have hooves, and, and there's goat stuff and lots of from satyr to pan, which you know basically the same. Uh, Dionysus, the devil, Krampus. Baal, Baal, you, you name it. Zeus often came down as a goat. So, okay. So, so now it sounds like I know a little bit about goats. We're, we're, we're done with the goats. We're moving on. Jennifer, thank you for your expertise. If there's any uh, in summation words of wisdom or stories you want to tell, that's great. Otherwise, you can tell people where they can find you, how they can support you, uh, if you want to be found or supported. Um. Well, let me throw out here that I have a friend who saw has seen elves, so I have at least secondhand confirmation that elves are real and that they live among us. Wait, wait, um, where was and this I, and what they look like? Well, he says that there were a bunch of little ones and that they were sort of up around the, um, what do you call the, the trim that's at the top of the wall? I'll call it the trim that's at the top of the wall. I, th okay. I, I well, think they were, up, they were up around the trim on the top of the wall, and they were sort of dancing, and there was a whole line of them, and you watched them dance. And uh, and this would have been in Baltimore. So okay. These were elves in Baltimore. Okay. So, like, I've heard similar stories, but towards the bottom and just walking through house, but in the American South. Um, so, okay. Uh, there you go. Uh, the... the very cool. So uh, somebody has seen, but these were the little people type of elves, and probably these are little people elves. Yeah, more frolicky, yeah, less more like less dangerous. Grateful Dead type elves, I think. Yeah. So um, not there to eat you, just there to like party small time. Yes. 
Okay, small time is a little pun there. Okay, very cool. Elves are real, um, or at least things that we don't know how to better define them are real. I'm all about mm-hmm. that. The Garden of Doom is populated with all creatures, great and small. It's sort of like that that place where Thor went to find Zeus and all the other gods and and, God, and Thor, Love and Thunder, which was an awful movie, by the way. Um, but, but, you know, actually that part wasn't particularly good either. But it... It, it's sort of like that, except much cooler and more like a uh, Scooby-Doo swamp-like uh, uh, atmosphere. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, so if you want to be supported um, or if your friend that uh, saw Elves wants to be supported indirectly through you, how could they make that happen? Um, you can find me. I have a web page. It's jenniferasutherland.com. And I am on Twitter. Um, if Twitter still exists by the time that this airs mm. at um, Lady Jury Deadlock. It's D-E-D-L-O-C-K um, on Twitter. Do you follow and, me, uh, Jennifer Sutherland? I don't think you do. I think I do. Really? I might follow your wrestling um, alter ego. Well, there I feel were... like maybe I do. Yeah, I have... Uh... Well, this is a good time for me to say it. At Icarusfell MD, anyone's welcome to follow me. I will follow you back unless you're a porn bot. Uh, if you are a new person to Twitter, I can't imagine you are, and you only have like six or seven followers, I'm going to assume that you're a porn bot or some type of bot. So send me an at or a DM and say, I'm just a new account holder without any followers. I'm real, and I will follow you back. Uh, the other one is Evil Dose at Garden of Doom. Uh, but... Use the Icarus Fell one. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know why I created the the uh, second one to. Well, I do, but the 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 purpose has been since defeated, and the story is not interesting to anybody who's not immersed in the professional wrestling world. Okay, well, that, I think that's the one that I follow. So I will look for you at Icarus, at, yeah, and at, then um, I wanna um, I wanna let people know I have a book coming out cool. next year that I am super excited about. Um, it is forthcoming from River River Books. Nice. Uh, it's my first collection. It's maybe poetry, maybe an essay, um, something in between, and it's called Bullet Points. Excellent. And folks, she's an award-winning poet. So th- this is this is not just like someone doing self-publication on Amazon or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. There's been some great works there, and I've read a lot of really interesting stuff there but there's there's she's got plenty of third-party validation here and accreditation so check out her stuff so just just repeat your website and your twitter once again because they, they might have been uh dazzled by my my smoke and mirrors afterwards so my twitter is um at lady jury deadlock d-e-d-l-o-c-k um that's the the charles dickinson's deadlock character um, and then um, I have I have a web page, and that is jenniferasutherland.com. Excellent. All right, Jennifer, as always, thank you. You are one of the best prepared uh, of my sort of like semi-amateur guests, and and you're up there with my you know people who are pro- sort of professional guests who are professional you know uh, professional promotions of their stuff. Uh, and I thank you again and. Uh, I don't know, you know, early solicitations for next year's Halloween. Uh, you don't have to agree online because um, that's too much pressure. Uh, all right. 
Thanks to Jennifer. Thanks to all of you for listening. Again, you're welcome to follow me on Twitter. I probably don't say that enough, if ever. This might be the first time I've said it on Garden of Doom. Um, but I do ask for ratings, five stars, written reviews. But more importantly than anything, if you like the show, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies. Um, this show is sort of genre defined. It, it's algorithmically challenged um, because of the variety. But I love the variety. I don't want to change it just to uh, fit into an algorithm. So if you like the variety and people that you know also are eclectic and don't want to listen to nine or 10 different podcasts for this kind of variety, they can listen to one and get the same variety and then they can fill up their time with other things or eight other different kinds of podcasts so that they can learn about other stuff. Uh, anyway, thanks for all that. I am, I know you're all going to do it. That's what I want for Christmas from you all. Uh, and happy Christmas or scary Christmas, whichever you prefer. Happy New Year's. Uh, I already know what the shows are going to be just prior to New Year's and just after. It's a two-parter. It's the same guest. Uh, basically, a gentleman who's taken the Bible and compared it to historical events. And he has identified the, where the Garden of Eden was, who Adam and Eve was, who Moses was, the Exodus. He's explained a bunch of the miracles. He brings us to Jesus and ends with King Arthur. Um, so, you know, be ready. You don't need to be convinced, but it's very interesting. Um, and be ready to have your mind blown and to question a bunch of things. Uh, and then that will lead us into King Arthur, where I have two other shows already recorded on Arthur. One, the, you know, more traditional literature uh, version that you're familiar with. And one, which is sort of in between. Um, but uh, probably more traditional in more of the Celtic traditions. Um, so we're going to go with Arthur at least three ways, but uh, the first way is sort of like the second half of the second part of a show called History Revisited, parts one and two. So check that stuff out. You're going to love it. All right. Hear you next week in the Garden of Doom, and Merry Christmas to all.
Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next. Sports fans, the wait is over. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is now live in Maryland. And for a limited time, FanDuel is giving new customers in Maryland $200 in free bets when you use promo code MarylandFD at signup. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. Just place your first $5 bet. Then you'll get $200 in free bets guaranteed. With football season in full swing, the timing couldn't be better. Finally, you can bet on all your favorite NFL and college teams with everything from the money line to point spreads to player props. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app with the promo code MarylandFD to get started. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Don't miss your chance to get $200 in free bets guaranteed now that FanDuel is live in Maryland. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Maryland. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. 